You are listening to Metrics and Chill, a podcast about business metrics and the interesting ways that people improve them. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Metrics and Chill podcast. Today, I am joined by a friend of mine, Sean Henry, founder and CEO at an agency called Pepperland Marketing. They're based like two miles from where I sit right now, uh, which is my home office. So uh, Sean is the founder and CEO at Pepperland, uh, an agency in Cheshire, Connecticut, uh, again, which is where I'm based. So Sean, welcome. I don't know how it took this long to finally have you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. Um, Sean, tell us about tell us about Pepperland. I know uh, we're going to be talking about SEO today and a little bit more on the technical side, and I know SEO is a big part of what Pepperland does. So, so just give everyone an idea that might not have any idea who Pepperland is, what you guys, what you guys focus on. Yeah, so we started in 2015 um, with the intent of helping clients adopt HubSpot. That's like where we began. You know, we were fully bought into mm. inbound marketing methodology, and um, you know, you saw enormous value in HubSpot as a, a tool and a system. So that's where we started. Um, but of course, to take good advantage of a tool like HubSpot, you know, you have to have a good system for generating leads and traffic. And um, you have to actually have those assets in place. And that became a huge part of what we were doing. And, right. um, you know, you fast forward a few years and um, HubSpot's still a huge part of what we do. But um, most of our clients are coming to us these days to help them uh, really grow their organic reach. Um, so thinking about things like SEO and uh, content marketing. Um, and we do that really, really well. So um, traffic growth, lead generation, um, but really heavy focus on those organic channels is what we do. And um, we focus pretty heavily on the education space these days, but we do also work with um, some folks in manufacturing and a number of other uh, different industries. So, so uni- when you talk about education, universities? Yeah, uh, higher education, so colleges, universities, yeah. but also um, K through 12 as well. Right, trying to increase their uh, number of new applicants and, and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they're they're a lot like um, businesses in a way that, you know, they don't have a sales team, they have an admissions team, right? Right. The admissions team needs inquiries and applications. In order to get inquiries and applications, you got to do a lot of the same thing businesses are doing these days to attract people online, right. so super interesting too because you feel like with higher education a lot of that is like referral or word of mouth like right like when you're in school at least when 100 years ago when yeah. you and I were in high school like you already knew the colleges right like and it's almost like where where were your friends going or what was your counselor recommending to you or like which school did you already know of that has a really good program so like yeah that part's interesting to me like how how big of a role content can play and how yeah. Do, are people, are, are students like Googling things? You know, I'm sure they are, but like. So, the, so they are. I think you actually raise a really good point. I think there's a huge difference between undergraduate and graduate. Um, so for undergraduate students, I think a lot of what you just said is still very much true. Um, a lot of that is very much word of mouth. Um, you yeah. know, it's where your friends are going. It's where your parents went. Um, and uh, a lot of the uh, decision-making process, at least your handful of schools that you're looking at is kind of baked in. Um, on the graduate side, though, you're typically targeting working professionals, you know, people who are um, several years into their career, in many cases, or mid-career, 
and um, you know they are primarily focused on career advancement or skill development. And the way that people advance their careers and learn new skills is they they do a Google search, they yeah. go to YouTube, they listen to podcasts, they read books. Um, so kind of tapping into that stream of activity that's already happening um, is the the playbook that we follow. Like how are people looking for ways to advance themselves? What are the different ways that they're learning? And um, where it's appropriate, how do we tell them that here's a you know a good good strategy for you to follow if you want to reach those goals? Right, right. So hopefully that makes sense. But then yeah, you know on the yeah, undergraduate sure. side, they're still doing searches, but it tends to be more branded stuff. So you know, what I need the application about? form. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So um, it's is a different dynamic there, but right. And so, so Sean's coming on the podcast today to talk about metrics three in particular that are a little bit more technical than what we've had on the podcast so far um which uh which is no surprise given uh their focus on seo but today we're going to be talking about core web vitals and three metrics in particular that sean is gonna kind of walk us through here why they're important why they prioritize them for themselves and also their client base so sean why don't we start there uh, the core web vitals, the three metrics uh, that that you're bringing to the table today, and just give us like a quick definition of I know the you know the acronyms LCP, CLS, and FID, but w- walk us through those three core web vitals and what they are and why they're important. Yeah, so um, Google recently, I don't know, a little over a year ago, they um, announced a set of metrics that they call core web vitals that um, represent three different things, three different things that have to do with the user's experience on your website. Um, and that is loading interactivity and visual stability. So how does Google measure your site's loading experience? How does Google measure your site's um, inter- speed to interactivity? And how do they measure your visual stability? And the reason that they're looking at these metrics is because they are going to be factoring in something they call page experience uh, into their um, ranking considerations in the very near future. And we're talking um, early June 2021, so this update will be rolling out within another week or so from now. So um, they announced these metrics, largest contentful paint to represent the loading experience. I'll explain what that is in a second. Um, LCP for short. Um, first input delay, which uh, is used to measure interactivity, and that's FID for short. And then cumulative layout shift, which is how you can measure visual stability, and that's CLS for short. Um, so these are metrics that all websites um, are going to be evaluated against in the very near future. And um, you basically are going to be graded in each of these three categories as either being good, needing improvement, or being poor. And if you're in the good category, you'll probably benefit from this upcoming change. And if you're in the poor category, you might take a little bit of a hit. So hopefully that makes sense. And it's obviously just one, well, it's a handful of many, many, many ranking factors. Um, things like content quality, relevancy to a searcher's query, um, you know, and some of the other things that you might hear from the SEO community, all still extremely important. Right. Uh, but these are a handful of new things that everybody needs to focus on. So give us the, uh, give us the layman's terms uh, for each of those. <laughs> like, what is what is LCP? What is FID? Uh, I know you gave us the technical um, definitions, but what are they? Yeah. So um, 
let's see, LCP is largest contentful paint. And that's honestly where we spend probably the most of our time focusing on these days um, because it's it tends to be one of the bigger problems that we see in this category. Right. Um, largest contentful paint is uh, a technical name for basically the largest element on the screen that a user sees when they're loading your page on their device, whether that's desktop or mobile. And um, for the typical website, the largest contentful paint or LCP is going to be something like that hero image that appears on the top of your page where there's this large background image with some text in front of it. Um, that might be a featured image on a blog post uh, as well. Um, it's whatever that largest element, whether it's an image or a block of text that appears on that screen. And how long it takes to load on that mobile or desktop device. So you have two different scores, one's for desktop, one's for mobile. What would be considered good? Uh, good is under 2.5 seconds on a uh, mobile device. So you need to have that load under that 2.5 window to be um, in the good category and um, virtually nobody is. Yeah, what do you, what, what do you typically see with, with yourself? Um, I know you recently went through this and, and with clients, like what, what's the, is there like a typical range that people fall into? Yeah, so there, there's a few different ways to get to this number, um, which I'm happy to go into. But um, if you pull up one of the reports um, where you can get this data, you'll probably see a score that's like 4.4 seconds or 5.6 seconds or, you know, something along those lines. And that doesn't sound awful. Um, but it really is a, a long way away from that under 2.5 benchmark that you need to get to. Um, and that's what you see in the reports. And the way that Google measures this, they look at the aggregate um, over a, an extended period of time, about a month, month's worth of real world data to give you that score. If you run the test yourself, you're probably going to see a score that says like eight seconds or 10 seconds or 12 seconds. So when I go in and I look at a site for the very first time, the scores are typically horrible. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of very easy to understand reasons as to why that is. But um, yeah, most sites are starting off in a very bad place. And if you wanted to find out how your own site scores, there's two easy ways to, to get there. Um, you can quickly Google PageSpeed Insights. And you'll find a free tool that Google has that allows you to score any page that you have on your website. Or you can log into Google Search Console, and there's a report there called Core Web Vitals that will give you your scores for your entire site. And I would encourage everybody to do that and just see like where you stand today. And you'll probably be a little bit disappointed what you find there. Cool, yeah. I, I'm sure. Uh, Sean showed me a little bit of ours at, at Databox. Uh, it, while it wasn't awful, it sure, yeah, the, the two and a half seconds isn't, uh, uh, it's it's not underneath that benchmark. So it's certainly eye-opening. So talk about FID. What is that? FID is short for first input delay. And that is um, basically the, the moment when a user can start to interact with your content. So let's say you have a uh, form on the page that you want people to fill out. Um, if they were to scroll down really fast to that form, if it was on the bottom of the page and try clicking around, they might find that they can't actually interact with it. Or, you know, maybe there's an accordion on the page that you want to expand, um, interact with. Um, that, that has a, um, sometimes a very long delay, especially on mobile devices. I, I don't see this as a huge problem on desktop. 
but um, you want to be underneath uh, 100 milliseconds <laughs> to be in the good category there. Right. There's nothing more frustrating when you're trying to interact with a form or like type things in and it's like delayed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Automatic back or X out. <laughs> yep. Uh, and what was the last one? CLS? What is that? CLS. And I think this is the one that is most likely going to cause you to hit the back button. Um, and that's visual stability. So, um, you know, imagine you do a Google search and you're looking for some good advice and you see a headline that captures your attention and you click on that blog post and you're starting to read it. And then you're maybe the first few sentences in, and then all of a sudden that block of text you're reading suddenly pushes down off the screen because an ad was just inserted mm -hmm. towards the top of the page. Every media site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that is one of the biggest offenders here, but that shifting around, of elements on the page that is called cumulative layout shift. And, um, this is also a pretty big problem. So I, I would say large contentful paint is the biggest problem that we see followed by this metric cumulative layout shift. And how is and, that measured? Um, so it's, it's basically, um, I think it's like a ratio. So you want to be, um, you have to have a score that's under 0 0.1. So it's like the percentage of the screen that actually changes. So if there's only a okay. little tiny bit that's moving around, you have a very low score. If there's large elements that are moving a large percentage of the screen, that score is much higher. So you need to be under 0 0.1, which means you have to have virtually no layout shift. Okay, yeah. That, I, I would assume also blog posts that have lots of images, like really long blog posts, um, like those three 5,000-word blog posts that have like, dozen or more images and some of them are taking time to load similar to a media site they're not ads but that'll that'll shift the page around too when you're trying to read it it can for sure the the thing about this metric is it, it has to do with the content that is above what you're looking at so it's what's shifting things down so if you have an image that is all the way at the bottom of the post that's usually not a big deal right um, there are still some things that you need to think about there but um, it's likely that won't be as big of a deal as if you had a banner that appears at the top of your page and pushes everything down after 10 seconds. Right, right. Great. So now that we kind of have a, a better idea uh, of what each of these is, uh, really the first question we ask everyone, which you kind of already answered, which is like, why was this area of priority? So like, why was Core Web Vitals focusing on it for your own website at Pepperland and also some of your clients? Why was it a priority? You kind of already answered that by saying when Google announced that this is going to be a ranking factor starting this month as as we're recording this, June of 2021. Um, so would you say that that's accurate, that that's really the reason why this has become a bigger priority for you and your clients? It has become a bigger priority for our clients, I think, because of that update. You know, when Google announces something like that, it it gives these issues much more attention than they had previously. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I've been a big believer in performance and, you know, optimizing for speed, especially um, for a long time, because if you improve the speed of your pages, people are going to stick around a little bit more. They're going to be more likely to, to not bounce if they're on a mobile device. Um, they're going to be frustrated a lot less. So you're going to get people to stick around, have a good experience. But if you can get people to stick around, have a good experience, you're hopefully going to see a lift in your conversion rate as well. More people are going to get to that call to action that's a little bit lower on the screen or be more willing to submit the form that you you have there right. or interact with your chat bot or whatever it might be. 
so um, yes, the the update that's just around the corner, I think, is a huge incentive for folks to act now. Um, it, it's it's certainly one for us, you know. Um, but um, even well beyond this update. So if you're hearing this a year from now, uh, it and you haven't seen any kind of negative impact in terms of traffic, it's still in your best interest to go and look at these metrics and improve things because you'll your other business metrics are going to improve as a result. Um, so yeah, the update, certainly a, a big factor. I think that's um, getting a lot of people to finally pull together the resources to act now and resolve this. Um, but uh, I'd say it's always been a bit of a priority. Right, it, it just from a CRO standpoint, like you said, right? Like Yes. Not not just not just discovery, and like your ranking, but also just the frustration someone's going to feel when they're already on your site and they're experiencing those things, right? Like improving them is going to have a, a positive impact on on conversion rates, or theoretically could. So walk me Absolutely. through like some of the things that you've done to yeah. to improve these. Um, I know like you've done work on your own website, um, and you can talk about clients maybe a bit more generally. But like, what are the things that you've done to improve some of these core web vitals? Yeah, so I'm going to use my site as an example because I can get super, super specific here. Um, but a lot of the examples I'm going to give, um, we've we've done exactly these same things in several other of our client sites and seen similar uh, improvements as a result. Um, the metric that we tend to start with first is large contentful paint, and that's for two reasons. Um, number one if the page is going really slow, uh, it's loading really slow, and the user's not seeing the most important information on the screen, um, it's gonna be less likely that they stick around long enough to try to interact with your page or to scroll down far enough where something like cumulative layout shift is actually an annoying problem. Right. So if you can improve your large contentful paint first, um, you're gonna have more patience with the other problems on the site in terms of your users. So that, that's how we think about that. Um, also solving some of the things that we would typically solve for largest contentful paint tends to also improve some of those other two metrics almost accidentally. So um, for largest contentful paint, the first thing we did on our site, um, you know, we're like a lot of sites where the, the largest percentage of our traffic is actually going to our blog um, and some of the articles that we have up there. And um, our LCP was um, definitely not where we needed it to be. We were averaging somewhere in that 5.5 second threshold, which put us in the poor category. And our largest contentful paint, like most sites, was the um, the hero section at the top of the blog post. So on our blog at the time, we had this bluish area at the top that had the headline of the blog post, um, and that was our H1 tag, very large font. The date just below a breadcrumb trail. Um, and that was our largest contentful paint. And it ate up more than 50% of the total screen, so much so that you couldn't actually see the beginning of the article. You'd have to scroll down a little bit before you would start to see some of that content. Um, in addition, we had our featured image as the background image, which is a very common thing. We see that on many, many sites. And so we did it too, just to you know, kind of be normal, right? Be what we <laughs> do, what we see most people do. So we said, why not? Um, without thinking about whether or not having that background image behind the text actually would make a difference or not. Um, but, you know, we started from the point of understanding that we had a score that was a little bit too high. 
And the um, one of the very first things that we did that I encourage you all to do as well is we went through the reports that Google gave us. We looked at Google Search Console at the Core Web Vitals report to see where they thought the biggest uh, problem areas were. And sure enough, it was those blog posts that were getting us all that traffic. And um, we ran a number of reports on just a handful of those pages to, to do our own testing, to see what our scores and our results would give us. And we did that using a tool called Lighthouse. And in Lighthouse, you get your largest contentful paint score. You get cumulative layout shift. You get first input delay and a number of other um, metrics that can help you troubleshoot these things. And um, what it, you see as a list of action items that you could consider, it's a little bit overwhelming. They're going to give you like 20 or 30 different things that you could possibly do at that moment. And you'll have no idea what any of those things mean. You'll have no idea how to actually go about solving those things. And uh, it can be really overwhelming. Um, but we looked at that. We set it aside for a moment. And before we tried to pursue any of the items that Lighthouse singles out for us, we um, we did an audit of the code that was on that page. So was there stuff that we were sticking on this page that didn't actually have to be there? And our site, like many sites, was built on WordPress at the time. And we, like most WordPress sites, were using many different plugins, um, some of which we weren't using anymore. Mm. We'd activated them, we forgot to deactivate them, or you know maybe we were using it on one page and not others. So we started there. We audited all of our different um, uh, plugins because plugins actually inject code at the top of your page that delays the rendering of your page. And if that plugin doesn't need to be there, you can eliminate that code. And you don't have to optimize it because you just got rid of it. So there's this stuff in your code that's basically blocking the whole page loading experience, including your largest contentful paint element. And if you could just get rid of some of that code, Theoretically, everything improves. And that's the first thing we did. We identified the plugins we didn't need anymore, and we got rid of them. I'd imagine for clients, too, that that list could be pretty big, right? Especially for Absolutely. some of the bigger yeah. clients that you have. You're working with bigger institutions, right? They, they must have a laundry list of plugins that they're no longer using. Absolutely. So that's yep. a quick and, win. And that can be hard. So we'll identify them and say, "Is it? we think this is no longer used. Can you confirm? And then there's usually two, if not 20, that we could immediately get rid of. Um, so huge impact there. Um, and it's also that's a, there's security benefits to eliminating those as well. Second thing we did is uh, we looked at the code that we were, the scripts that we were loading through Google Tag Manager. And same thing there. There were several scripts that we were loading on our site that we didn't need anymore. Great example here is Hotjar. We love Hotjar. Mm -hmm. We use Hotjar all the time. But we're not using Hotjar every single day. We use Hotjar to capture session recordings sometimes, or we'll generate a heat map. And when we're not using it, we really don't need that script deployed on the entire website. So there too, you could roll back a script like Hotjar if that's being deployed through Google Tag Manager, and you see your screen, uh, your speed improve. And there are other examples like that, third-party scripts that marketers like myself put on a site for one reason or another, and you kind of forget about it. You're not using it all the time. And when you stop using it, you forget to take it back. And that can have a big impact and it had a big impact on our site. And we see that all the time on our client sites as well. Right. So how are you actually measuring the 
impact of the changes that you're making. And I'm sure it's going to be different for every website, different client. Like you said, like some websites, there might be more of a lift when you remove some of the plugins, other websites, it might be different things, but like, how are you measuring? Cause this isn't like a metric that you're going to say, Oh, we improved, you know, largest contextual paint by 25% or we decreased it. Right. Like how, how are these metrics quantified and, and, and what types of improvements let's use your website as an example. Like what types of improvements were you able to make by by going through and making some of these improvements and changes? Yeah, um, I'll start with the process first, if that sounds good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, these tools they give you a laundry list of possible things you could do, and that could be overwhelming. Um, what we do is we certainly do that audit. You know, we get that list of things that we could consider doing, but then we look at all of our different metrics that we have to improve. You know, is that just largest contentful paint, or is it all three of them, or some mix, right? And um, we look at that list of items and say, what's going to have the bigger impact? Is it improving largest contentful paint, or is it improving cumulative layout shift? Uh, let's figure out what metric we want to focus on first and start there, because we think that metric, improving that metric is going to have the, the greatest benefit. So in our case, it was largest contentful paint. So we narrow down that full list of things that we knew we had to do, and say, what's the smaller subset that will help us improve our largest contentful paint first? Um, at that point, you then can do some things that will have a very big impact and some things that will have a small impact. Um, just by having experience doing this, we could very quickly look at that list and know immediately, you know, of those things which are going to have the biggest impact. You know, I just gave you a few examples. There's some others. So we'll prioritize those. But then you also have to think about what's the likelihood that the stakeholders going to actually take that advice and do that thing that we're telling them to do. Um, you know, for us, it's our own site. We can call the shots. But when we're giving a client this advice, you know, our primary point of contact, they may be 100% bought in and they may believe that that needs to go, but they have to get 40 people internally on board to make that decision. And that simple yes or no might take two or three months. And if we know that that's the case, we're going to set that aside for a little bit. And we're going to focus on the thing that we feel more confident they'll be able to act on and push forward with. Now, another way to look at that is the difficulty in um, actually pursuing something. Is this something you can simply log into WordPress and deactivate something? Or do you have to get a developer to come you know, um, completely rework the way you're using JavaScript? Or do you have to make a design change, right? Those things are obviously going to be more complicated, more costly. So um, you have to have a really good reason to pursue those. So right. it's this kind of assessment and prioritization. And then we, once we've figured out where we're going to start, we look at our current score. We find out if we were to make that change, what would the score likely improve to? And we do that locally. So we'll just test that. Um, on our own computers. And uh, if we feel really confident at that point that this is worth pushing forward, we either go and do it or we make the recommendation to the client. Let's go do X, Y, and Z. And the second that's done, we test again. We confirm that that had the impact we thought it was going to have. And then we reassess the entire page. We go back to that tool I mentioned at the beginning, Lighthouse, and say, with that problem now out of the way, What's the next biggest thing in this list that we should focus on? 
you know, versus saying we're going to do all 20 of these yeah. things in one shot and we think it's going to work, but then we don't know which of those things have the greatest impact. Of course. Yeah. So basically you're moving these things, hopefully from poor to needs improvement to good. Have you might be too early for this, but have you noticed any changes in organic or rankings or is it harder to measure that impact of making these improvements on an outcome like like uh, improvements in organic traffic or improvements in rankings? We've seen um, very dramatic improvements in scores. Um, and, and the nice thing about that is we could confirm almost immediately that something we've done has moved the needle in the right direction. Um, then we need to wait and see Google sees the same thing. And that requires a little bit of waiting. So Google's giving us a score based off 30, I think 30 days worth of data, but it's real world user data, um, Chrome users. Um, and it's the, the aggregate of all those users coming to your site. So what are they experiencing basically on average over a 30 day window? So if you fix something tomorrow, you're not going to know for another month right. or longer if that truly had the impact you thought it was going to have. And because this update hasn't fully rolled, hasn't rolled out at all yet, and it won't be in full effect until the end of the summer, we won't know until you know probably August how much of an impact all these efforts are ultimately going to have. What we expect is that for our clients who are already in a really good spot, they have a lot of number one positions, they're going to hold on to those number one positions. For clients who maybe have some decent rankings, they're on the first page but not on the top slot, if they've seen their scores improve, they're going to they're gonna go up a slot or two, right? And so they might see a, mon, a minor but positive traffic improvement. Um, now, if you're in the top position and you haven't improved things, you might go from position number one to position number two. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but the click-through rate from number one to number two can go from 33% to 10%. And a minor, minor change like that, especially if you have a lot of top-ranked content, could be enormously painful. Right. So that that's the, um, the big negative that we're trying to help our clients avoid. And we're, of course, trying to avoid that ourselves. By, um, by making these changes now. So will this pay off in the end? I'm pretty confident. Um, how much of a, an impact it'll have, that's all very much up in the air. Google ha has said it won't be very dramatic. But again, if you're counting on organic traffic, you have those top rankings now. You want to do everything you can to protect those. And I think this is needs to right. be part of that. Mix. Especially for some of your, your types of clients that likely have a higher volume of pages, um, and, and a lot of these elements, uh, you know, whether they're extra plugins or things like that, right, they probably have, um, they could experience this more acutely if they don't address it. Maybe then some smaller companies that don't have as many web pages, um, you know, like smaller startups. Uh, so I, I can imagine for bigger higher ed companies, their websites are already pretty, pretty expansive as it is like this. Like I said, they, they, they might be able to, they might be experiencing this a bit more acutely. So, um, yeah. yeah. Seems like a smart play there. But yeah, Sean, thank you for, for coming on and not, not only sharing your experience, but also schooling us on uh, Core Web Vitals and uh, making, I'm sure, everybody listening a little bit more aware now as to what their theirs are and uh, exploring ways that they could they could track it. 
Where uh, is there anywhere on the Pepperland site where people can go learn more about this kind of stuff, or or maybe just like your SEO and uh, services in general? Yeah, I could I can give you a link, but if you want to just Google Pepperland Marketing, um, you can navigate over to our SEO services pretty easily. Um, you know, or if you go there and request a consultation, interact with the chat, happy to talk to you about um, your own site. So. Awesome, Sean. Thank you for coming on, man. This is great. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.